HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by PASA Sustainable Agriculture. Learn more about PASA's 2021 virtual conference at pasafarming.org slash conference. This week on Meet and 3, it's our 100th episode. We're breaking the mold to kick off our mini-series on global trade. Vegetable, fruits, grains, and cooking technique pass from one region to another. And that's interesting that that region transformed that ingredient into their own specialties. There was a time where black pepper was a luxury. And we know that because people were willing to invest huge amounts of money to go to the Spice Islands in order to get uh, pepper. <laughs> you know, stuff we take for granted now. You know, you go into a restaurant and it's free. Tune in to Meet and 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you get your podcasts. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll, Lord. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The devil runs his groove in them rhythm and blues that sound. It's gonna get you some. Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm Souther Teague. And I'm Greg Benson. Hey, buddy. How are you? I'm pretty goddamn great. How are you doing, Souther? I'm freezing to death, buddy. It is minus 45 <laughs> outside. Minus 45. You get me? Uh, yeah, I know. No, it's, so it's, cold, yet so hot. Yeah, it's great. It's a great day uh, to be in America, uh, which I haven't been able to say, I think, in a little over four years. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel a sense of renewed hope and pride um, and, you know, like a, a sense that we can, you know, kind of sweep up the mess and start, you know, putting in the work to get it back to back to what we enjoy about being in this country um you know it's been a pretty tumultuous few weeks and i'm glad to see that we're finally to a place where we can look forward with uh with a bit more sort of hope uh it's a, a fucking like, man like a four-year collective sigh of relief <laughs> i know i i like I was texting with a, a friend of mine, you know, I was texting with a lot of people watching the, the news and the inauguration today. And just the the thesis statement that emerged is everyone is like, I just feel at least 10 to 20 percent less stressed, just baseline now. And there's something about, you know, it's funny. I was talking to another, you know, one of these one, another one of these radical Brooklyn socialists that you read about in, you know, in the fake news media last night about how weird it feels sometimes if you step back and think about it to be as someone who counts themselves as a pretty 
progressive progressive um, to be so stoked on Joe Biden and big pharma these days. But it also says something about, you know, the, the sort of coming together of this moment and the fact that, you know, we can we we have someone who in his speech was really adamant about, you know, but you believe in facts like he won't give any quarter to lies, to deceit, to misinformation, but really believes that there is nothing to be gained by infighting and everything to be gained by working together. And, you know, that, that there there's a lot to unpack about that message. And there's a lot about it that, you know. This is still a very divided country and it still has a lot of problems and they're going to take a lot of hard, hard, hard work. But it's just so nice to see, to hear empathy and decency and competency coming out of the mouth of the president of the United States. It's just it's it's a little bit hard to believe that what you just said is is a refreshing move. But it's yeah, exactly. It's it's, it's true. You know, (laughs) even listening to him speak. um you know, more coherently, less sort of off the cuff, more, you know, reserved, uh, calmer, uh, like it just, you know, uh, all those things alone give me a, a greater sense that, you know, we're, we're, in, we're in capable hands. Um, and then, you know, uh, as far as deceit and lies go, it's, uh, I, I don't know if you read this, but I read it just the other day, uh, statistically 73% less uh, false information just on Twitter alone, since uh, 45 was banned. Um, and that's because the things that he would say on his Twitter would get flagged, and then they would get retweeted or recommented by so many people that they would all get flagged. Um, so like just 73% less flags, you know, taking one guy out of the pool. Unbelievable. It's amazing, man. And I mean, yeah, you know, he 45 was... Not the disease, he was a symptom, but at the same time, it's like, yeah, if you if you remove toxic influences from our discourse, it really does make you feel optimistic for the first time that there's a path back to, you know, civil debate, disagreements rooted in fact, not fiction. And and you're right, <laughs> that's a low ass bar to have to clear. But it's like we always say in the restaurant industry, under, under promise. Over deliver. Over deliver. Yeah. <laughs> Your I mean, pizza's gonna be there in forty five minutes. It's there in thirty. Perfect. Boom. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> um yeah, so yeah, a collective uh, I think, you know, weight lifted off the shoulders of many Americans. The unfortunate truth is of course that there are so many Americans out there who were who are still um, you know, backers of uh, and supporters of of that that era. Um, which means that the divide is great and you know, there's plenty of work that needs to be done, but it looks like um, Biden's going to roll up his sleeves and get right to it. You know, we, we had to stop watching the coverage to come and do the show. Uh, but one of the last things I saw before I got into the studio here um, was that, uh, you know, the, the typical luncheon that's right after the inauguration was canceled, obviously due to COVID, but that means he went right to the resolute desk and started signing um, executive orders and, and moving things into place. And so, you know, it's, it's going to be straight to work. Uh, which is good because there's plenty of work that needs doing and, you know, there's not a, a, there's only a finite amount of time to get it done. Absolutely, man. And, uh, and, and speaking of work, we, uh, you know, I, I, I was watching right up until uh, we had to jump into the studio here. In fact, I kind of was, you know, just, just, just mesmerized by watching a president work. 
<laughs> like watching him actually do his job was so nice. And I almost forgot that. And I looked at my my phone. I was like, oh, shit, it's quarter to two. We got to go uh, host a speakeasy. So we got to we got to roll up our sleeves and do some work because we have an awesome show. Because joining us today in the studio, we have Danny Zig, the CEO and founder of Coconut Court. Coconut. Yeah, let me try that again. I had a lot of mimosas this morning. Yeah, buddy. Founder and CEO of Coconut Cartel. Thank you so much for joining us, Danny. How are you? I'm doing great. Exciting day. Uh, big day. Indeed. But uh, super stoked to be here with you guys. Uh, I was also watching the inauguration before hopping on, but uh, good excuse to good reason to, to hop off watching that to come to come hang with you guys. So thanks for having me. Man, oh. so so happy to have you. And you're you're uh, uh, you're joining us from your virtual studio as well. You're in Miami today, I'm assuming. I am. I'm in gorgeous, sunny Miami today. It's still minus forty five. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the whole country is minus cold 45. snap across the country. Yeah, the whole country is minus forty five today. Um, well, yes. Thanks so much for taking time out uh, of your day and such a historic day as well to come and, and hang out with us and talk to us about. Uh, well, frankly, to talk about smuggling coconuts. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, that's True in my notes. Yeah, that's in my notes here. Why don't you talk to me about smuggling coconuts? What 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 does that mean? What were you doing? Quite literally, uh, smuggling coconuts. Uh, but really, and you know, for it to make sense for everybody, what we were doing is we were importing uh, coconuts, fresh coconuts from El Salvador um, in Central America to Miami and we were selling them back in 2012. We started uh, selling them to a lot of the hotel pool bars. So why? Uh, Back in the 1970s here in Miami, we got hit with a, well, not just Miami, but South, uh, I guess the Southeastern region of the United States got hit with a plague called lethal yellowing um, that affected, yeah, (laughs) sounds nasty, right? (laughs) It doesn't Um, sound fun. but what it did is it basically made it impossible for there to be a commercial production or growth or harvest of coconuts. So everybody was coming into Miami or you know flying into Miami International Airport, heading over to the beach, going to their pool bar or the Fountain Blue, you know whatever, and uh, asking the pool bar or the, you know the guy for a fresh coconut like they saw in the big sign in the in the airport. There's like a big sign that says "Welcome or no, it's so Miami." There's this girl drinking a coconut right straight out of a coconut. You couldn't get that. You couldn't actually drink straight out of a coconut here in South Florida. Um, so we decided to smuggle coconuts in our suitcase from El Salvador and bring them up. And uh, that started a coconut cartel revolution. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean, how many, uh, okay, how many coconuts are we talking about? Like, I, you know, I know those guys that smuggle caviar. That's tiny. Caviar is tiny. We started. They're not small. (laughs) You no. You and they're heavy as hell. Um, We (laughs) could fit at the best like two to three hundred coconuts. We'd like peel them. Well, we would peel them right. So we take off the big green husk, and then you're left with like a little brown nut on the in the middle. Right. Um, So we could fit like two, three hundred of those in our suitcases. Like we take two or three, probably a hundred per suitcase. But uh, once that. We kind of we outgrew that really fast, very, very, very fast, and uh, we that turned into a you know an illegal operation of container loads of this stuff every week. So you graduated from from bootlegging coconuts up to you know uh, hey we're a legitimate business. That's, that's a phrase. Right. That's a phrase we use in New York a lot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> according that's to exactly movies, how it happened. According to movies and television. Um, 
uh, and that's cool. Uh, and and are you still importing coconuts? Because now you're an importer. Mm. Yeah, now we've uh, we've grown up, and it's 2021 now. We're almost you know 10 years later, or is it no, almost 10 years later, but really eight years later. Um, now we're uh, a spirits company, a full blown spirits brand. We import rum, we import coconut water. We're a Central American tropical libations importer. Wow. Well, be, be, before we get to that, I, I just yeah. have to ask because like, you know, I should smuggle coconuts into Miami in a suitcase. Sounds like something that I would say when I was hammered one night at like 3 a.m. and then never actually follow through on. So like, well, how, how did you how did you even get into this this crazy business in the first place? Oh my God. So the truth is, so I'm, I'm, this is, I'm living in Boston at the time back in 2012 and my brother, who's my partner in this, uh, calls me and I'm pretty much finishing up at this time, my business degree. So I'm like in business school with my fancy spreadsheets and whatnot, whatever. And he calls me like, I'm going to start a real business. And my brother calls me and he's like, Danny, he's down in El Salvador. My dad lives in El Salvador. Just put some context on this. But uh, and we grew up there. We grew up between El Salvador and Guatemala. So we're like kind of Central American. Um, so he calls me and he's like, Danny, I had this coconut, like coconut water. And I'm going to I'm going to bring some up to Miami. And I'm like, OK, well, that sounds like the dumbest idea I've ever heard. Don't call me. And so he goes ahead and does it. He stuffs his suitcase and goes for it. Um, and then lands in Miami International Airport, gets pulled into, obviously gets pulled into like TSA rooms, right? They're like, what the hell do you have in your suitcase? What's going on here? Um, In doing so, he finds out that he's clear to go because coconuts are considered a nut, not a fruit. So TSA is like, all right, well, I guess, or customs is like, all right, well, I guess you're, uh, you're good to go leaves the airport and then he starts going around and showing these coconuts to like, this is like when juicing just started, right? Like everyone's like obsessed with juice cleanse. He goes and he shoot and he, and he shows them to like some, a, a friend of his who has a juicing company and he loved it. And then he goes and he shows it to a big hotel group here and they freaked out over them. They're like, yeah, we'll take 9,000 of them for food and wine in like two weeks. My brother's like, oh wow, sweet. And he calls me, he's like, Danny, I have a big order. I have like a 9,000 coconut order. And at that point, I'm like, okay, uh, I guess your dumb idea was uh, legit. <laughs> and um, you're, Well, your, your dumb, illegitimate idea has, is, is becoming legit. <laughs> yep, yep. It totally, uh, yeah, it went from zero to 100 very fast. And uh, it sounds simple, but it's, 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 not, it's not as simple as you'd think. And here we are. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't know. No, everyone's simple. like, Everyone's like, what do you mean? This coconut's $12. It comes off of a tree. I'll just climb up there and get it myself. I'm like, please go ahead and do that. <laughs> if it's not worth your $12. Yeah, exactly. Uh, no, this doesn't sound simple at all, but it sounds, uh, you know, a little bit lightning in the bottle. You, he identified a, a, a hole in the market and, and, and went about filling it. Yeah. I mean, honestly, if you tasted the coconut water, it was just so good. It's just, you, you'd sip it, it was cold as hell, and like the perfect nuttiness, perfect, not too sweet, not too salty. It's like a different coconut water from what we're used to in, 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 at that time that was on the market, right? At that time we had Zico, we had Vita Coco, and we had Harmless Harvest coming out, which is like the one with uh, the white, it's the white tall bottle with the green cap that you see at Whole Foods everywhere. Yep. So people were used to a different coconut water flavor, um, and when we brought them this like fresh, cold coconut that they just stick a straw on it, super easy and sip it 
cold, cold, cold. It was just, it's, it's, uh, it's like the fountain of youth. It was amazing. When you drink it, you'd be like, yeah, I'll take, I'll, I'll take, what, what, what do you got? Like we'd go, it was the easiest sales pitch I ever, ever made. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah, it's totally different story. So, uh, yeah, no, that that natural, those natural attributes of it were the seller for us. We didn't really have to do much. I mean, coconuts are fascinating anyway. You know, I did some research on coconuts uh, for a television show I used to work for long ago, and. Uh, not a, I don't think it's a little known fact, but I don't think enough people know it. Uh, fresh coconuts are sterile. The water inside is sterile. So mm-hmm. uh, during different wars that we've had uh, when we're in tropical climates, we've literally hooked our boys up to, to coconuts uh, as a use of plasma uh, when, when blood wasn't available. Um, yep. That's a pretty incredible nut. I was about to say fruit, but it's not a fruit. Um, that, that, yeah, it's that's, hydrating. It has the meat. You can eat it. You can drink it. It has all sorts of nutrients and minerals in it. I, I've lived days off of coconuts. Not like it, during trade shows and things when we're doing shows. I had no time to go eat. I was just living right. off the coconuts. Yeah, <laughs> pretty pretty fascinating uh, stuff. Um, so let's back up a little bit. You you said you have uh, um, some. You were you were intent on going into business of some kind. Uh, what were what were your imaginings at that point before the coconut <laughs> cartel began? What sort of businesses were you pointing towards? Oh my god! And I've tried. I at that time tried so many. Um, I I'm like the lemonade stand kind of kid. I was a kid. Um, so I tried doing everything from you know when I was nine years old selling uh, chocolate selling in, in high school I'd sell uh, soups in at <laughs> like I would bring like a little thermos of soup that I'd sell soups I'd uh, try to backpack vegan backpack business um, so I I just tried pretty much a lot of things um, but always in the back of my head my grandmother would always say to us you know if you want to start a business you should start a business in food um, because people are always going to need food so I had an interest growing up always like in organic food. You know, I grew up in in the era where organic food, we went from fat free, like margarine, like that era of my parents over into organic. That's what I grew up in. So I always had an interest in, in food and I thought maybe I would open up a, an organic fast food concept. I had all these like fast casual concepts that I would back of a napkin drop. Um, I had aspirations at one point of doing a, a sustainable denim project. I'm taking, you know, scraps of denim and making making other things with it. So I, I always had a a knack for, I guess, organic sustainability, agriculture, things really that I grew up around too. Because I I grew up in Central America, as I mentioned a little earlier, um, and we grew up in farms. We had cacao farms, like not personally, but just like all around us. We had cacao farms that were used for chocolate coffee plantations like some of the best coffees in the world come from el salvador and guatemala uh bananas obviously avocados tomatoes i mean just so much agriculture so i i grew up around it um and then my dad's in the apparel manufacturing business so i grew up in a factory 
Um, and so I saw things being made. And uh, I was always really interested in that too. So uh, I've always been a maker. Just I, I wanted to find something that I was passionate about and that I could make and sell. And ultimately, and, and it ended up here for now. I'm sure I'll do more other things later on. But uh, Oh, sure. You're, not, you're never done. Uh, no. Life is a constant edit, I think. Um, yeah. Well, so you, you had all those kind of ideas float across you. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, your brother's like, let's drag coconuts over in a suitcase. <laughs> Uh, and then uh, somehow we take that and we go into the world of spirits and rum. We're going to come right back and keep talking to Danny Zig about Coconut Cartel Rum. Stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by PASA Sustainable Agriculture. Cultivating environmentally sound, economically viable, and community-focused farms and food systems. PASA Sustainable Agriculture's annual conference is one of the largest gatherings of sustainable farmers, food system professionals, and changemakers in the nation. The 2021 virtual conference takes place January 19th to February 5th and features more than 90 sessions on topics that include soil health, climate change, crop production, livestock grazing, urban agriculture, community building, food justice, and much, much more. Don't miss keynote speaker Robin Wall Kimmerer, scientist and author of Braiding Sweetgrass, Indigenous Wisdom, Scientific Knowledge, and the Teachings of Plants. Learn more about PASA Sustainable Agriculture's 2021 virtual conference and register online at pasafarming.org conference. And we are back. You are listening to The Speakeasy here on Heritage Radio Network. Uh, today, we're talking with Danny Zig, uh, founder and CEO of Coconut Cartel, former coconut smuggler, now legitimate businesswoman. And uh, <laughs> before, we, before we went into the break, we were talking about how you always had aspirations of doing something with food, doing something with agriculture, doing something that, that would be you know, a thing that people would, would come back to and that would nourish them. And you had that with your coconuts. And then somewhere along the line, and I know this because I have a bottle of Coconut Cartel rum sitting in front of me right now, oh, you pivoted so a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and we're both lucky to have it. Um, but yeah, talk to us about that. Talk to us about how uh, rum came into the picture. Uh, yeah, so rum, we grew up around it. And like I mentioned before, we grew up in an agricultural uh, economy. And uh, one of those agricultural crops is sugar, sugar cane. We grew up around sugar cane driving on the way to the beach. You see like miles and miles of this stuff. Um, and I grew up in Guatemala. Most of my childhood, I moved down to Central America when I was about nine years old, um, lived in El Salvador for a few years, and then we moved to Guatemala, where I did all of my high school uh, education. And one of the biggest and most important exports for the country is rum. We make some of the best rums in the world. Um, it's a sense of pride for our country. When we go and visit family members anywhere in the world, we're bringing a bottle of rum. And people know it. That's what we're known for. Um, so really what happened when, and the reason that we got into Rome was very serendipitous. 
um, when we were selling these coconuts, every time a bar director, bar manager asked us, you know, what, co- what cocktail can I make in the coconut? Naturally, you know, you see this beautiful cocktail vessel, um, <laughs> you know, poolside of Miami Beach, they want to they wanna spike it. And um, so we just being from Central America and what we used to drink, I would just say, you know what, you don't really have to get too crazy. Why don't you just put a shot of a Central American dark rum? Anyone you want. You want to use Zacapa, you want to use Flor de Caña, a Panamanian rum, really just a Central American rum because that's what I knew and that's what I like to drink. Um, And so we started doing that. We started promoting that just naturally, again, very serendipitously, um, promoting that cocktail. And we saw that people who didn't know that they liked rum you know, they, they, people have a, a certain perception of rum, very different from what I grew up around, which was that, you know, for me, rum is what a bourbon is to someone from Kentucky, right? Like we, mm-hmm. this is, again, this is a national pride and joy. Um, we drink <laughs> rum, we have from the, you know, the most valued type of product all the way to the, you know, hundreds or thousands of dollars per bottle, white tablecloth, cigar, like really fancy, you know, type product. Um, but typically here in the U.S., you find that people have a certain perception of rum, um, something they drank in college, something that's too sugary, they had a terrible hangover, this or that. Blah, blah, blah. So I would say, no, 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 just try it with this rum. And I'd give them a really good, like, dark rum. Uh, they're like, I didn't know that rum tasted like that. I really, really like that. And I saw people's eyes light up. You know, it was just kind of like when you when you cook something for a family member and they try it and they're just so happy. They just enjoy it so much. I saw that in people's faces that I said, you know, I think... I think there's an opportunity. It seems like people don't know. Um, I think there's an opportunity to show people something they're not aware of, something new. Um, and naturally, because we were, uh, you know, spiking these coconuts, we were mixing fresh coconut water with a good dark rum. Um, it was very like a very easy drink. Um, so we were like, what if we, what if we flip that cocktail on its head and instead of spiking a coconut with rum? We sort of spike rum with coconut water. And uh, so we started playing around and figuring out how can, you know, how can we infuse coconut with rum to really naturally, you know, like two peas in a pod, rum and coconut, they go together. We see it in, in cartoons and movies, you know, all this stuff. And yet coconut rum on, a, on, a, on the shelf is, is, is suntan, it's copper tone, it's suntan lotion. It doesn't <laughs> <Yes>. taste anything <laughs> like, it doesn't taste anything like real coconut. Um, why don't we, let, let's play around with this. And so you know, and being natural born sort of tinker and entrepreneur, we just, we went for it in the sense that we started finding people who could help us bring, conceptualize this. Um, and so, uh, that's just how, that's how it, uh, how it came to be. And, and, and I guess I'll make a note too, that, you know, we saw what happened with tequilas and mezcal, like in the agave category, in the every category, gin, whiskey, agave, uh, we saw this massive shift from, your typical, your typical brands that we knew forever, you know, that our parents were drinking to now a whole slew of, of new, smaller batch, uh, authentic brands that people really gravitate towards that I thought, you know, rum, rum deserves this moment too. So that pushes that way too. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, and, and it's one of the things that I've loved about this, you know, this modern Renaissance is that it is bringing up a lot of these uh, spirits that people would see and and maybe uh, even look down on a little bit because they didn't because they didn't understand because they thought of it mm-hmm. as you know it's like oh that thing that tasted like sunscreen that gave me a terrible hangover one time and right. everyone has a war them. story about a coconut rum 
everyone. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, guilty. I, I grew up in Florida. I've got many, many, many <laughs> coconut rum war stories. Come on. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, well, I, I love your approach to this because it seems so simple and elegant of a way to get the coconut into the rum. Because what, what you do, and correct me if I'm wrong, is you just proof it down with coconut water. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. We, you know, we, we tried a bunch of different things to infuse the coconut in there. We tried fat washing it. We tried a sort of gin distillation uh, method with toasted coconut flakes. We tried all sorts of natural ways to infuse it and ultimately i literally just grabbed some 60 uh 60 or you know 120 proof rum and i grabbed a coconut with coconut water in it and i just we just i'm just like what if we just just mix this just just mix it so you have the the 120 proof and the coconut water the 120 proof is obviously overproofed and the coconut water and right there just a light bulb went off. We're like, well, what if we just use the coconut water to proof it down to 40%? And uh, it seems like such a duh moment, right? Like such a, like, why didn't anyone think of this before? And I get that all the time. But there's something about coconut water that gives the blend, you know, a traditional rum that it is, a special, something special, but yet, and yet keeps it traditional. I don't know how to, I guess, better explain that, but kind of respects the rum in the way that it is and uh, and gives it a little tropical flair and a very special mouthfeel. Um, you know how like whiskey, a lot of our whiskeys, they'll talk about how they use a special water. It's the, you know, 60% of that bottle is water. So it's important what type of water you're using. And in this case, the coconut water just gives it something really great. Yeah, yeah it, it, it really does seem like a, um, you know, sort of, wow, I should have had a V8 moment, right? Like, you're already going to take your rum and, and add water. Why not use a flavored water, right? Mm-hmm. Like a natural flavored water. It's, it's still natural, but it's got its own characteristics. And that's going to obviously sh- show up in the, in the bottle. Like, exactly. I, think, I mean, it is genius. And I think that oftentimes mm-hmm. the things that are genius are the things that are that kind of aha moment. You know, uh, I would parallel this to say that when I used to do barrel aged cocktails um, at, at, at a bar where I was the head bartender in, in Brooklyn, I would, you know, you have to plump the barrel with water. I would save that water and go back. And when the cocktail was finally finished, I would use that water to make ice cubes to serve that cocktail on because that water had some barrel flavor. Yeah. Yeah. Wa- water is awesome. Like water. Yeah. I mean, I don't think people realize like how water, how water differentiates, like how much flavor it absorbs, how many minerals it has. Like, there's so much going on in water that we got to pay attention to. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I've turned into a big water snob. Like ever since I, I went, my husband's Canadian and we went up to Canada a couple summers ago and we're heading out on a hike and I fill up a Yeti with ice water, like from tap, from the tap. And I'm like, this tastes so good. It's so refreshing. I'm so thirsty. This is awesome. I just started realizing it's their mountain water It's so good that now I only drink mountain Valley water. Sure. I mean, the uh, I went to um, Iceland uh, a couple of years ago and was absolutely flabbergasted by the quality of the water. Again, just off the tap, even it was just, and you're mm-hmm. like, oh, because I'm sitting right here on you know all this ice where this water is coming from naturally. It's just, yeah, it, it's amazing. Uh, I think uh, Aviary has a, a water som, right? I think they have like twenty twenty something different waters, uh, bubbly or not bubbly, and they've got a guy who'll come over and chat with you about what water preference you have. Yeah. 
so obviously, it, it, you know, if we're going to get meta, which is, I think, half the stuff we do in the nerdy-ass world we've decided to be in, um, you can get meta about anything, including something that seems so baseline like water. Mm-hmm. Pretty incredible. Um, sorry, I lost my notes here. My phone. Uh, well, oh, well, while, while oh. you look those up, I'm going to, uh, with, with your permission, not take your word for it and try a little bit of it myself. Yeah, I wanted to, uh, Damon couldn't be here today, but he texted Greg and I yesterday. Uh, and I wanted to just quote Damon, if I can, d- directly from this text. Uh, and it just starts off with, <clears throat> okay, guys, you know what? Forget what anyone says about flavored rum and blah, blah, blah. This shit is delicious. I just don't, <laughs> I just don't give a fuck anymore. This is a vacation in a bottle. <laughs> not that I can remember. There what you va- go. It's not, been said. Not that I can remember what vacations are like. Uh, so, uh, so, you know, uh, and I, I, I followed up and said, yeah, I, I've had it before. I totally agree. It's, uh, it's, it's genius. My, my quote in the same text thread is it's genius to proof down with coconut water instead of just plain water. Um, which, you know, we, we obviously just went over, but it, it brings such a subtlety to the rum. Um, but it softens, softens it so much. Uh, and, and again, it's almost, I, I think it's somewhat complete as it is, you know, um, I'm certain people are out there mixing with it, um, but yeah, I, think I mean, I, we, I we pour this over a big rock and I'm good to go. Yeah, you can, you know, we, we've been doing a lot of e-commerce stuff now, you know, when COVID happened, we sort of switch gears to do a lot of e-commerce stuff, which has given us the opportunity with, to connect with a lot of people and connect with customer customers one-on-one. Like we're, you know, typically if you sold in a liquor store, you don't really know who bought it, who's on the other end. And so we're seeing how people are drinking it for the most part people enjoy it on ice. There's a good portion of people that do enjoy it neat. Um, but because of the price point, because it's not, you know, frightfully expensive, they'll go ahead and mix it with pineapple juice. They'll go ahead and mix it with, you know, their favorite soda. I had somebody, you know, post the other day, they're like, oh my God, coconut cartel and coconut LaCroix is a low cal, low, you know, sugar combo. It's amazing. So I really don't, tell people to discriminate either way. Like, I don't say, oh, you have to drink this neat or on ice. If not, it's blasphemous. No, absolutely not. Like, drink it whichever way you enjoy it. I personally enjoy it. I know this is crazy, but I, I, mean, I really like it with Dr. Pepper. I'm a huge Dr. Pepper fan, but I like Coconut Cartel and Dr. Pepper. I'm not going to lie. I do. Um, and that's the beauty of it. It's just really, it's, uh, it plays well for everybody's, uh, you know, what they like, so... But on yeah. ice is, is the winner, is the number one choice. Well, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I'm not dictating how anyone drink anything, obviously. I'm just saying if you're looking for something that's perfectly easy, crack open this bottle and pour it over ice. Uh, you, can certainly, you can certainly complicate your life by mixing it with other things. Um, <laughs> but, you know, if you just want it easy, crack it open and drink it. Uh, this even also seems very flaskable to me. I, I'm, I'm known for carrying flasks all over the place, but, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, it seems very, be delicious in a flask, especially, you know, right this time of year, um, you know, a little, little nip in the air, a little nip in your pocket. Sounds great to me. Speaking of nips and flasks and spirits themselves, uh, off the air, you spoke to us a little bit about the process of picking the rum. Let's, uh, let's let the listener hear a little bit about, about that process and, and what you had to do and, and the arduous, <laughs> difficult task of tasting <laughs> tasting a lot of rum. Yeah, no, if we uh, when we came up with this concept, uh, you know, my brother and I. So, we're, like I mentioned, we're both we're partners in this. Um, we don't come from a long line of you know legendary heritage rum makers, so we had to find uh, partners to do this. Um, 
so we basically traveled all of Latin America and Central America. I mean, we went to Nicaragua, we went to Panama, Guatemala, Colombia. Um, we tried rums from many different distilleries. Um, all had to have aged rum. Like our, our, we want an aged Spanish style rum because that's what we, we grew up around. We grew up drinking a Spanish style rum, which is really different from a Caribbean rum. Um, and so we tasted upwards of about 200 different aged rums. Um, and finally, uh, found awesome partners in a distillery in Guatemala, which was great because that's where we're from. And so we feel really proud to be working with them. And it also helps that our mom lives there. So anytime we need something for her to, you know, go have her go pick up at the distillery, she can just go get it for us. And we don't have to fly down there, especially nowadays, like it's so hard, uh, to get stuff. But, um, we were able to find amazing partners in distillery in Guatemala and, you know, we approached them. Uh, with the concept of of doing a coconut a coconut rum, we didn't have, for lack of a better words, a coconut rum. Uh, at first, they were like, "You want to put coconut water in our rum? What the hell are you talking about?" Like they were they were offended. Um, <laughs> we're like, "No, it's not like that. We're not. Don't worry." And they're like, "You know, I I don't really know. I don't really really know how we feel about that, but." Um, you know, come back to us with, with some samples, like make something. So they, they, you know, we bought a couple barrels. We started playing around here in Miami with some coconuts that we could find here locally, like off literally like off of trees that we could find here that were okay and not plagued with lethal yellowing. Uh, and we made some, some samples and we went back to them. We were like, here, here's what we were thinking. And, uh, they're like, you know what? Scratch what we said. This is in Spanish. I said, esto es una joya. This is a gem. They were really, really surprised at what we were able to make, and uh, ultimately they, they they opened up the doors to us and allowed us to uh, to come in and start blending with them. But but it took it took tasting a lot of different rums and a lot of different places, and even you know just even in the area, like I said, it's all Spanish style rums. They vary. In Guatemala, it tastes really a Guatemalan rum tastes really different from a Panamanian rum because a Guatemalan rum comes from a sugarcane syrup, like that's where it starts. It's not a it's not a blackstrap molasses, so it hasn't you know hasn't been processed as much. So it's a little grassier, a little earthier. Um, whereas if you go to Panama, it'll taste a lot more you know a lot more caramel. You could taste a lot more of the sugar. Um, so it was just a lot of trial and error and a lot of drinking, ultimately. I mean, I just want to back up a little bit. You're saying that your your goal was to find the rum that you wanted, the flavor that you were looking for. Uh, your goal wasn't necessarily Guatemala, even though that's where you're from. And serendipitously, the one that you chose is Guatemalan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, listen, Central Americans, like we grew up down there, but Central Americans are the nicest people in the world, very hospitable, but they're very, you know, we have to gain their trust. So we had to really meet all these people and get and create a relationship. And ultimately it took almost over two years of creating a relationship with this distillery before we were able to, you know, start working with them in an official capacity. Um, but they don't typically just open their doors to anybody. So, you know, that's a hard thing at the beginning, but it's also a benefit because we know that, you know, that you're not going to just have a million other rums coming out on the market. It's not like, you know, tequila, you could go down to Mexico and there's these giant mega factories that you can just go and slap a label on something. And all of a sudden you have a tequila brand. Like, no, here it's like very family oriented, very, you know, trust, you have to build trust and get to know each other and build a real relationship and work together in a partnership. Yeah. And then once you've done that, you have to go, oh, and by the way, I want to put coconut in it. Right, 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 right. And oh, by the way, um, we're going to mm, put some coconut water in your <laughs> in the stuff you've been aging for 12 years in your uh, super famous <laughs> aging houses. <laughs> right. Now, I don't know enough about, um, you know, requirements on rums, uh, 
but I'm looking at the bottle right now, and nowhere on here does it say flavored. Do you have to call this a flavored rum, or is this just rum that's been proofed down with coconut water? You know, the TTV was really confused. Also, when we submitted our formula, they didn't really know where to go with it. Um, but ultimately, they're like, well, you have coconut water in it, so you have to say that there's coconut water in it. Um, so if you see that, you know, the front label says dark rum with coconut water. But they didn't allow us to make an age statement because because it's a coco- it has coconut water in it. It's considered a distilled spirit specialty. And this is nerding out. I don't know if anybody cares, but you know, oh, it's a rum special. Okay. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> about the show. It's about nerds. Um, okay, okay. <laughs> so this is a rum specialty, according to the TTV. And because in the TTV, I guess, rubric of what a rum specialty is and what you can and can't say about it, you cannot make an age statement. So that's why we call it a dark rum rather than an age rum. But it is technically aged rum it has four eight and 12 year aged rum in, in the blend and with coconut water well i mean i imagine putting you know guatemalan dark rum with coconut water at least from what you're trying to do with this brand was vastly preferable to you know coconut flavored rum because oh yeah you would attract an entirely different not just a, a, a different audience but sort of a different um level of respect for the spirit that i don't think that you know i mean we were talking earlier about how, you know, we need to throw out all of our notion of like what flavor it is and just kind of, you know, let the, you know, mango cooler rums do what they're going to do because they're always going to be around and just sort of respect the spirit for what it is. And this definitely kind of, in my mind, elevates it almost. Yeah, no. And there's all sorts of, I guess, flavor has turned into a, you know, bad word, but there's a whole bunch of, I mean, botanical rums, for example, are starting to pop up. And I think that you can do just like gins, you can do really cool things with a rum base, um, infusing it with all sorts of, again, quote unquote, natural flavors. Now natural flavors has like a bad rap, but really actually, like if you wanted to like plantation, they did a, you know, plantation pineapple. It tastes great. Like you put it in a cocktail, you know, that's the best pineapple situation you're going to find. I, you know, Echicera rum from Colombia, which is an amazing rum as well. Uh, they did a banana skew, which I think is awesome. Like you can infuse rum with different flavors. Um, I just, it just has to be done right. And I don't know, maybe on the labeling, you can explain it on the back, how you do it to differentiate yourself from the guy that just puts flavoring in it. I don't know, but, uh, I would give it a chance. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that that's, you know, that, that's, that's sort of what we were talking about earlier about, you know, this category of, of rum and just a new appreciation of spirits that's evolving and can incorporate all these flavors as long as they're done with people who respect the plants and respect the, uh, not fruits, nuts, as we talked about earlier that go <laughs> into it. And, you know, just kind of have a, a, an eye towards quality in every part of how it's made. Um, and earlier you mentioned that, you know, you've always had a passion for sustainability. You know, when you were sketching out these fast, casual concepts, you weren't, you know, trying to do the next Wendy's. You were trying to do something that was quick, but also good for people and, uh, you know, he- healthy and tasty. And it's clear that that level of, you know, uh, of respect for what we put into the human body and what we take out of the environment is a pretty pivotal pillar of your business philosophy. So uh, can you talk a little bit about sort of, if you want to, what you're working on now and where that might take you and Coconut Cartel next? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, like I said, I grew up 
in the beginnings of what organic food meant. And I grew up also in the time when, you know, sustainability started becoming a buzzword. Um, and I took, I, ha I do have a, I have a passion for it. And, and when I was in college, I, I took uh, sort of, I guess you could consider it a minor. It's not officially, but a lot of sustainability courses to just understand um, from a, from the base when you're building a business that it's not just important to make a profit, but to also to make, you know, make sure that the people that are involved are well taken care of and to, you know, make sure that you're not harming the environment and sustainability isn't just about the environment, but it's about having a business that for in the long run is sustainable from a financial perspective, from, you know, a resources perspective, like you don't want in, you know, 20 years of business that you built to all of a sudden, not be sustainable that you can't grow the things that you need to grow in order to make because then your business fails so ultimately you do need to take all of those things into consideration um i think there's a lot of work that we can do to be even more sustainable but in our early you know days as we were planning this uh something that was really important for me was trying to source as much as we could locally so that we weren't transporting ingredients from all over the world to one spot and then schlepping it to another spot because that's that's what happens you know we, we we buy you know bottles from here we buy sugar from there we buy rum from there we know wherever it is and the logistics that are involved in this uh, are huge carbon uh, emission points so we you know that's a big thing that we have here with uh, the Guatemalan distillery that's awesome is the fact that they're 100% vertically integrated so everything from the sugarcane fields fermentation, distillation, and bottling, all of it is done locally, uh, which I love. Um, they have a huge sustainability program um, where, you know, everything is, uh, you know, all the water that they use is cleaned before they, you know, let it onto the environment, which in Central America, you'd be surprised is not common practice. A lot of our lakes are, I grew up on a lake that was just radioactive by the time that you could, you know, literally radioactive. Like I, I swam in it once and I still think that I am radiating from it. Um, but like those types of things were, were important to us when we were creating this. And then going back to the coconut business, uh, when we started the coconut business, we started working with one farm. Um, and then we grew that so much that we ended up having to reactivate about 10,000 acres of coconut farmland, um, that was originally planted in the area for almond joy for the candies. Um, and then Almond Joy left. <laughs> yeah, they went to Asia because Asia has a huge coconut industry. And these farms were left abandoned. And so we went in there and we cleaned them up. And when I mean cleaned them up, I mean like this was like jungle land. And we went in there with like humans and machetes and just cleaned them up so we could harvest the coconuts. All the harvesting is done either by, you know, like oxen, like oxen pulling like a carriage and then we knock the coconuts down or by humans that are going and wrapping them with rope and pulling them down. Um, but what was cool about that project was just reactivating a whole industrial uh, agricultural um, economy and sector of the, of the country for El Salvador. Um, so that was cool for us too. And a, and a meaningful thing for our company was uh, reactivating an industry that provided jobs and, and gave opportunity to these farmers and something that was sitting under their noses that they didn't know that they could uh, use. So a lot of, I guess, a lot of different things that I, I take into consideration and consider I mean, sustainable. I, I think that's, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's the word sustainable. I think that's of paramount importance to the whole sustainability uh, um, sort of, you know, grid is that people are part of that sustainability. If you can't mm -hmm. sustain the people, then you can't sustain 
the business. You can't sustain that land without people. You can't sustain that harvest without people, right? So you have to cultivate a culture where um, the people are happy, to, happy employees. They want to be there. They're proud. They have pride in workmanship and, uh, you know, pride in the product that comes out the end of the process. Like, I think that's a huge part of sustainability that gets left out of the conversation all the time because we're, I think we're concerned first and foremost about the planet and its its viability, et cetera. But people are what it makes has a lot of, a what lot makes of components. All, yeah, yeah, people are what makes all the machinery work. Um, I wanted to ask about the coconut water itself. Um, when you are proofing down, it, it, do you have to do anything to the water first or are you just cracking it out? Of, I mean, we already talked about how the water we're, is sterile. Right. Good question because coconut water is insanely volatile. It's like a cesspool for bacteria if you don't process. And that's why like most of our coconut waters that are on the shelf are tetrapacked and pasteurized, um, which is boiling it. So it takes, it changes the flavor, it, it changes the consistency. Um, there's other coconut waters that they use pressure pasteurization. Um, so it's always processed. However, if you, and we, we've, we've tested this, it's all gone to you know food labs and, and, and we've tested to make sure that obviously that this is safe. And that was also one of the fears of the distillery. They're like, you wanna bring coconut water into the distillery? Like, I don't know, man, that sounds dangerous. But if you put coconut water into high proof alcohol, it will sterilize it or you know, maintain it sterile and won't allow you know any sort of bacterial growth to happen. Um, as far as long as you, you so we basically will the coconut water is harvested it's cracked open it's put in uh i guess like industrial vats so like big plastic bags or you know bags that food grade bags and the next day we have it in alcohol but it always has to be in a cold chain so it's, it's refrigerated the entire time and then once we put it into the alcohol we'll filter, we'll, we'll pass the, 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 the blend through a filter that'll take out any of the larger proteins and particles from the coconut water in it. Um, and then it's, and then it's, it's good. So we've had bottles on the shelf for over two years now and we've tested them, watched them, make sure we don't have any random growths in there or anything. And, and they've been okay, but that's a good question. Yeah. We had to, that was a huge consideration when it came to, uh, to doing this. Yeah. Uh, that's pretty fascinating as well. Um, and then I guess the next kind of big question here is um, where are you available at this point in the United States? <laughs> so thanks to COVID, I guess, silver linings and all of this, um, we're available almost nationwide uh, online. So you can buy it in about 40 states now. Um, so you go to shopcoconutcartel.com and we will find a retailer. It'll connect you to a retailer that'll shoot it out to you. Um, and then we're also available in stores all over the state of Florida. So in all the total wines, um, and all the independents pretty much yeah, in New York, New Jersey, uh, we're launching Georgia next month. We are launching Texas next month. We've got California coming in a couple months too. So, uh, it's moving fast, but if you're, if you're out there, if you're listening out there and you're curious as to how this delicious elixir tastes, you can go to shopcoconutcartel.com and we'll take care of you. That's amazing. Um, and while we're talking about your links and whatnot, you got a Instagram that you want to plug for people? Yeah, at Coconut Cartel. We have a pretty good, pretty cool Instagram. And my brother, he's our creative director, and uh, he makes all our content where it's this uh, brother-sister duo, real deal uh, entrepreneurial hustle here. So we're doing everything in-house. We really take a lot of pride in, in what we do, and including all of our artwork and our inspo and everything we put out there 
I mean, and it's honestly, I, I can't uh, impress upon uh, listeners uh, who obviously have never tasted anything like this before. It is delicious. Uh, it is mm-hmm. so easy drinking. And again, it's a very, uh, you know, wow. How, how did no one think of this before? Um, <laughs> you know, proof down the rum with coconut water. Like, duh. Like, what, duh. What, 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 what grows together goes together, right? Um, exactly. Seems such a natural peanut butter and jelly situation. Um, like peas and carrots. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> run, Boris, run. Um, so I highly encourage everybody out there to get yourself a bottle. Uh, go follow Coconut Cartel on their Instagram uh, and, and you know, give them some support because uh, they're a young company and they're, they're out there getting it done. Uh, really, really excited to, to have this and to have you on the show. Thank you so much for spending some time with us today. Is there anything that we didn't cover that you'd like the, the listener to know about, about, about the product? Oh man, there's so much to cover. I could keep talking for hours, but I don't want to bore anybody, but, um, you know, I'll just keep in touch with us. We're doing a lot of exciting things and there's a lot of stuff going on in rum. I would say if there's anything to come of this is open your eyes to rum. It's coming. And, uh, there's a lot of cool brands coming out coming out now with with different expressions from the Caribbean, from from Africa. We have a big a big a big rum coming in from Africa that's making a lot of waves called Equiano. Um, obviously, we have Plantation, which has been taking the country by storm. But uh, a lot of exciting stuff coming in rum, and I definitely encourage people to give the category a chance. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I totally agree. I think uh, I think rum is kind of in the same category as sherry. It's like almost every year, it's like this is going to be the year of sherry. This is going to be the year of rum, <laughs> uh, and it never quite jumps over the fence. Uh, but maybe that's good. You know, I have a friend uh, who's a, a competitive barista, and he's been uh, fourth place in the national championships four years in a row. And I'm like, Sam, why don't you give this up? You're, you're just in the way. <laughs> he goes, Are You kidding me? I'm going to keep doing it forever. Uh, I, I, everybody knows my name. He goes, Nobody remembers who won four years ago. <laughs> goes, but I'm in it every year. My name, my name, my name's constantly on the marquee. So, like, maybe, maybe the year of rum that never happens is the best thing for rum. Um, you know, it's always, it's always on people's tongues, uh, and I think it's, it's great. Uh, and you know, it, you're right. It is cool to see new uh, um, innovations in rum. And I know that there's the, I can't remember what it's called right now, but the Guardians of Rum is coming, right? That uh, uh, Bailey Pryor is putting together with with rum makers from all over the world to kind of like unify the descriptions and the uh, yeah. um, uh, and the ways that rum is made in, in, in the same way that sort of scotch uh, did mm-hmm. several years ago to kind of like make it better for the consumer to understand what they're buying. Um, like right. rum is rum is a fascinating and broad category, especially because it's made in so many places. Yeah, yeah. a lot of – and it's easy to drink. There's a lot of easy drinks to make with it. So you really you, you can't really mess it up. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Um <laughs> Well, thank you again so much for being on the show on such a historic day, inauguration day yeah. for 46th president of the United States, Joe Biden, and a uh, historic uh, vice president, pre- president uh, Kamala Harris, uh, uh, African-American and Asian, uh, Southeast Asian descent, like, uh, and a female, like, man, we're ticking yes, all the boxes. That's, that's the most exciting right now. That's, we've got a woman in the White House. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, we're ticking all the boxes. We're finally getting our shit together. Hopefully the rest of the world can see that we're you know, dusting ourselves off from this stumbling last four years and we're going to get back on the path that we need to be on. So I'm excited for feeling hopeful today and, and I'm going to get off the air with you guys and go drink some of this rum and enjoy the, enjoy the day. So again, thank you so much, Danny, for hanging out with us from Coconut Cartel in Miami. Greg, you got anything else? 
nah, just wanted to uh, to say everybody enjoy, you know, take take some time, enjoy the day. Uh, if you happen to have some coconut rum lying around, it's a good way to celebrate. Otherwise, just kind of, yeah, you know, thank you for um, listening. And thank you for to Danny for joining us on uh, a good day. You almost forget what good news feels like, but then you get it and you're like, <laughs> ah, this was nice. She- Cheers to that, guys. Cheers yeah. to that, indeed. Yeah. Cheers, gang. Thanks so much. We'll see Thank you soon. Thank you so much. Take care. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The devil runs his groove in them rhythm and blues. That's him. It's gonna get you The Speakeasy is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food Radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com forward slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fair, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows that you like. Tell your friends. And please, join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.